Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, so this week's parasha is Terumah. And uh, well, one thing I wanted to start with is some people ask questions when it comes to Midrash. Midrash sounds strange. So the, the, the rabbis write that one who disregards the truth of Midrash is a heretic. And one who regards... A heretic. A non-believer. At the same time, one who regards a Midrash as literally true is a fool. So you have, to, you have to balance when it comes to Midrash. The Midrash is there to give us a lesson, even if the Midrash's story is not meant to be taken at, uh, at, at, uh, at face value. There's a, there's a lesson to the Midrash. So someone who disregards the truth of the Midrash, the rabbis say is a kofer, is a heretic, but someone who disregards, who regards the Midrash as literally true is a fool. So let's keep that balance. So I was thinking when we, when we prayed on Friday, on Shabbat, we were praying it was Rosh Chodesh, Rosh Chodesh Adar. And uh, I was going to do a class on Adar, the luck of Adar, but we could hold that off because we have two Adars this, this year. And we read during the Amidah, it says, That Hashem, you're going to take us in joy to our land. We're going to offer sacrifices that were required in front of you. And the Musaf, etc., etc. The Yom Rosh Chodesh Hazeh, We're going to bring in front of you with tremendous joy. So the the idea of having a Mikdash, the Mishkan, is something that we constantly look forward to. And we have to see, we have to look at two concepts that we're going to try to look at, maybe three, when it comes to Mishkan and Mikdash. Every year we go through the whole period of Av where we mourn. From Tammuz to Av, where we mourn the Bet HaMikdash. Every day we mourn the Bet HaMikdash to a certain extent. The question is, we have to understand what are we really mourning? What did we lose when we had a Mikdash? And what don't we have now? So there are two concepts that I want to talk about based on the, the Zohar and the writings of, the, of, of Rabbeinu Hari. They are access, that the, the Mishkan, the Mikdash gave us access and the second is a concept called balance, where the Mishkan gives us something called balance in our life. And the third one is, do I make a difference? Do I make a difference in this world? Me, little old me, how do I make a difference? How is me, compared to the whole world, something that Hashem's really going to care about? And one other idea I'd like to think about, in light of current events and what the Mikdash means, and even the remnant of the Mikdash, which we have today, is the Kotel HaMaravi. So the rabbis write, the Bet HaMikdash was meant to serve Goyim as well as Jews. As the Pasuk states, Ki beti bet because my house is a house of prayer, yikare lechol ha'amim, for all of the nations who call out. The sentiment is expressed by King Solomon, Shlomo HaMelech. And he writes that public prayer, that in his public prayer, when he dedicated the Ben HaMikdash, so the first Ben HaMikdash was built by Shlomo HaMelech, King Solomon. And he writes then, and also to the Goy, to the Gentile, who is not from your people Israel, and who comes for the sake of your name, from a distant land, when they will hear of your great name, your powerful hand and your outstretched arm, and come to pray in this house. He continues, you will hear from heaven the place of your abode and do whatever 
the Gentile requests of you, so that all of the nations of the earth will know your name and fear you. Something unbelievable. This is in Melachim eight forty one to forty three. That's when we exactly. So we say. So so it's interesting that he's saying when the goyim comes, Hashem, you have to answer the tefillah. And my rabbi used to say that when a person goes, a bnei Yisrael mm-hmm. goes to the, to the Ben Hamikdash, goes to pray. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the answer could be no, but based on Shlomo Hamelech, when a goy comes to the Ben Hamikdash to pray, Hashem always hears their prayers. We're going to come back to this. So also I want to speak a little about unicorns. And where do unicorns fit in? My wife is very into unicorns. <laughs> On our ketubah, I have a lion because I'm Aries, and she has a, uh, a, no. a unicorn. No, There's actually, a, you're, you're, oh, you're Leo. 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 Oh, Leo, sorry. Leo. And she has a unicorn so instead of the Aries. <laughs> yeah. Aries is the brand. Right, but we changed it to a unicorn. <laughs> So I want to speak a little about unicorns. 40 some odd years ago, I was probably 18, I wrote a short story in rhyme about unicorns for you. 18? Yeah, and then you filled in all the pictures. No, I dictated it to you. Okay. And then my daughter, a few years ago, turned it into a little children's book. Now, that was in a previous life. It's very special, but it has nothing to do with the Midrash or the Mishkan. So he says. So we read this week. Daber el bnei Israel, speak to the children of Israel. Vayichuli teruma, they should take for me teruma. Meet kol ish ashed yidbenu libo from every person whose heart desires to give. This was not mandated to give. If you want to give, give. If you don't want to give, don't give. Tichu et terumati, you should take my offering. So among the various vessels the various donations that were given to build the, Benham, the the Mishkan, there was something called a tachash. The tachash was the skin that was used on top of the skins that covered the Mishkan. There were red dyed skins at the top of the Mishkan to cover it as a roof. And over that was something called a tachash. The question is, what is a tachash? So that could be, one, one opinion is that it's a weaving that has balls in it, that maybe that's why it's good protective. But the Gemara gives three opinions. That's a more later opinion, what you're suggesting. Rabbi Huda says that Tachash was a special violet color named for its dye, a certain dye. That's what Tachash means. So all he's saying is, they took other goat skins, they dyed it this special color, under the you had the red for your Valentine's Day, and then on top they had this tachash in this other color. Rav Nechemia says it was galactinin, which is hard to define. The rabbis though say it was a clean kosher animal, which lived specifically in the midbar at this time. What was it? The third explanation fits in with the Gemara. We see we're going to have a little Gemara here, which fits in with the Gemara where it says that Rabbi Abahu said in the name of Rav Shimon ben Lakish, in the name of Rabbi Meir, that Hashem, he created a clean animal for Moshe Rabbeinu in the wilderness. Once Moshe had constructed the Mishkan, this animal was hidden away. We don't see it again. Rabbi Avnon said it was called a Keresh. 
Rab Hoshaya said it had one horn. This is a parallel discussion to what's in the Talmud Bavli regarding the nature of the Tachash. There the Gemara says that the Tachash was a kosher animal that had a skin of many colors. Rav Yosef explains that the Targum of the word Tachash is Saskona. This is written by Unkulus. Unkulus is the first translation of the Torah. We're required to read every week twice the Torah and once Unkulus. Unkulus says Saskona, which relates to rejoice in Gevanim, in many colors. Meaning this animal, this Tachash is an animal that rejoices in her own many colors. It had such a beautiful coat filled with colors that it rejoiced. Like the Yerushalmi, the Bavli maintains that the Tachash had a single horn on its forehead and only existed for a certain period of time. There for Moshe to cover the Mishkan. After, we don't see a Tachash again. <coughs> the Midrash Tanhuma tells us that the Tachash was a large, wild, kosher animal that had a single horn and was made up of a blending of six different colors, which became more. The Radak explains that this animal was huge, 50 feet long. Again, remember Midrash. The Midrash also quotes Rav Nehemiah, who says that the Tachash was a miraculous creation, specifically created for the Mishkan and then hidden away. So we're seeing all these things, what sound like a unicorn, which later on we created as a, a white animal and... And we're going to even see how the unicorn comes into play with Esther in Shushan. The Gemaran Shabbat connects the single horn of the Tachash to a Re'em upon being expelled from Gan Eden. Adam brought a sacrifice of an animal with a single horn. And we suggest, some suggest that the skin that Adam took from this animal, which works well with the theory that there were, two, there were two unicorns at creation. One, and the same way there were two Leviathans. Hashem had to kill one of the Leviathans so that there wouldn't be two because they would take over the world. In the same way, Adam sacrifices one of these unicorns where there's only a second unicorn remaining in the world alone. This first unicorn, according to the Midrash, was taken, the skin of this unicorn was taken and preserved, we'll come back to it later, and used for the top of the Mishkan. So they're all very different. They're all very, but all, all relating to what appears to be in some way this, uh, this uh, what's the word, the, 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 talking about a unicorn, this uh, legend of a unicorn. Yalkut Shimoni tells us about David HaMelech, he was once walking in the wilderness. He climbed up a hill, which turned out to be the back of this unicorn. And this unicorn took flight and started to fly with King David on top. So if you think, where do these stories come from of Greek mythology and Roman mythology? All of these stories were already brought by the rabbis in the Midrash, which is written, again, the Midrash is written in the, for the most part in the first and second century of the, of the common era. The Al-Sheikh says, that the Tachash relates to the coming of the Mashiach. There are two ways the Mashiach could come. The Mashiach can come in its proper time, or the Navi says, Achishena, I will make it come swiftly. 
the word achishena says the alshicha kadosh is the same root as tachash. Tachash relates to the coming of Mashiach. This actually some suggest that the Mashiach doesn't come on a donkey. The Mashiach comes in flying on this tachash. Please. You can. So we're going to elaborate when we come to explain this, this and what, why, the, why the many colors and how the many colors relates to a sense of balance and a sense that all of us have a purpose. It's a little different than what David's going to tell you, but Rabbi Nachman says, when Mashiach comes, that all the colors, and, and we see this happening right now with, with everything that's going on in our world and everything that's happening in Israel, that all the colors and all the different people that we're going to dance in a very strong and big circle, and all the colors come together. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 the unicorn is it iridescent. It's many colors that everything just comes together. You mean Jewish or the world? No, so I think... I, That's when I think we're talking about. I think we're talking about the, the, the different, the different the Jews that are going to come together. That reflect, that each one reflects the light and the energy off of so each the, other. So the Gemara says that at the end of days, that when, when the Mashiach is going to come, Hashem is going to be in the center, and all the Sadiqim are going to be around Hashem in a circle. The way it's described, this is the closing Mishnah of the, of the Talmud, the way it's described, it seems that we're going to be playing Rampa Room. Hashem is the middle, and we're all going to dance in a circle around Hashem. But the idea is that you could have two ways of serving Hashem that are 180 degrees from each other, opposite. But as long as everyone is in the circle, everyone has a place. And it's important to keep this in mind. Finally, the Arizal says that the Tachash is a spark of holiness of the Klipa Noga. There's a physical aspect of the world that we're raising up to join the spiritual aspect of the world. And this is done through the Mishkan. And again, we're going to come back to this. So we see, Daber ben Israel, speak to the children of Israel, they should take from me terumah, from every person, exactly what he wants to give, like we mentioned. So this first Mishkan comes from generosity of the heart. And the question the rabbis ask is, why don't we set a mount that everyone has to give. We have machasita shekel. Everyone has to give a half shekel every year. Everyone had to give a machasita shekel towards the Mishkan, which went towards the silver sockets that, that held up the post. Why, when it comes to creating all the vessels of the Mishkan, is it up to you to give whatever you want? There's no other mitzvah in the Torah that says, just give, give what you want. We say in some of the things that they have no, no amount, but in the end, they really do have an amount. The rabbis say, yeah, there is an amount. Here, it's totally voluntary. It's totally up to you to give what your heart desires. So, so, so the, 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 and Hashem says later on, Pasuk 8, Vasuli Mikdash, you're going to make me a sanctuary. You're going to make me this Mishkan, this building. Veshachanti, and I will dwell betocham, within the people. So it's not like we're building a house that Hashem says, Veshachanti betocho. I will dwell within it. We're building a house, Veshachanti Betocham. I will dwell within the people. Through this Mishkan, I will come to rest myself and dwell on to the people. The idea of a Mishkan 
is problematic because it seems to minimize Hashem. What are we trying to do? Put Hashem inside a box. It seems. We quote every day that the angels say, Kadosh, 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 Amonai, Sevaot, Melo Kol Haaretz Kevodo. Holy is Hashem. Through the whole universe is Hashem's holiness. Anyone who visits the Bet HaMikdash in those days and would say that Hashem is inside the Bet HaMikdash and not outside the Bet HaMikdash, he's considered a kofer, someone who denies Hashem. And what are we trying to say? Someone who comes to the Bet HaMikdash, someone who comes to the Mishkan and says, God is here and not anywhere else. He's a denier. Hashem is everywhere. The little kids, they teach a song. Hashem is here. Hashem is there. Hashem is everywhere. So what are we trying to do with this Mishkan? It's, 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 it's difficult because when we, the, what's the point of this whole Mishkan? Why do we need an Aaron HaKodesh? Inside the Mishkan, we have an ark. You know, we saw Indiana Jones. You have the ark. Inside the ark was the Luchot, the, uh, the tablets. There was the jar of man. Why do we need, and there was the Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote, why do we need this ark, this closet, to be built within the Mishkan? Moshe, he went up to Har Sinai. In Egypt, he went, he heard Hashem's voice. On the road, everywhere he was, he could talk to Hashem. The same Abraham, he didn't need a house to speak to Hashem. Yitzchak, didn't need? Maybe. To make it our home. Maybe. So, but, but we see that all of the Sadiqim before, Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Noach, Chanoch, they didn't need a building. If Hashem wants to talk to us, He could talk to us wherever He wants to talk to us. He's certainly not limited to a building. And even if you want to say that the place of the Bet HaMikdash is holy because what occurred there, why do we need a building at all? Why can't we just have this beautiful outdoor... You know, they say that the, Bet, that the, that the Aaron sat on a rock, you know, which, which maybe they call is the Dome of the Rock. Why don't we just have the rock? Say, this is a place we should come and contemplate God. What do we need this building and not only that, what do we need the instruments? What do we need furniture? What do we need dishes? It's almost like we're saying, you know, we're building a house that God's going to live in. Like he needs the, the menorah to read at night, you know, make sure it's lit. And he needs the table with the bread. To eat. What does it do? It takes our concept of God and it seems to take it down. Even while there was a Ben HaMikdash, the Nevi'im spoke to Hashem from where? From wherever they were. So what do we need? What do we need it for? It could easily lead someone to believe that Hashem is inside. He's not outside. It becomes limiting. It affects the people. So it seems that we really don't need it and maybe we're better off without it. Because with it, we're centralizing God as opposed to saying God is here, God is everywhere. We don't really need a building because it serves the opposite intention. So what do we need it for? It sounds like the Torah is saying that Hashem gave us the Torah and he said, build me a little house with an itty bitty room for me to live in. It's almost like I say, my daughter's building a house in Israel. Make sure that you build for me a room, which turns out to be the bomb shelter. Build for me the room that I can come and visit you and stay in the room and visit you. Hashem is saying, I gave you the Torah. I want to come hang out with the Torah. Build me a room that I should come live in. It's very hard to understand. You agree that, it's, that, that when you think about it, it it's, it's, it's a little strange. It says, Hashem tells Moshe, everything that I'm going to show you, 
It doesn't say everything I'm going to tell you. He's going to show him. He says the pattern of the Mishkan, the pattern of all the vessels, this is what you should do. So the rabbis tell us, and imagine they're telling us this 2,000 years ago, that while Moshe Rabbeinu is in Shamayim, Hashem is showing him a video, a hologram, a 3D video of how the, Bet, I mean, the Mishkan has to be built. Almost like if you go to the architect today, and he puts on the 3D glasses and tells you, I'm building you your house. You could walk through here. You could walk through there. See how everything looks. Hashem is telling Moshe, I need to show you everything in 3D form so that you could understand what it looks like and how to build it. Why do we need that? Why can't he just give him instructions? And then it goes, Vasu Aron, You're going to make a closet. And Aron is a closet. Out of, out of, uh, out of acacia wood. And he gives the size. It's not so big. Amatayim vacheti, two and a half. So basically, you're giving it, it looks like it's like five, this closet is about five feet, like this table, by about three feet, by about a foot, uh, by three feet, five by three by three. It seems like a little box. What do we need a little box for? And he says, what are we going to put in it? We're going to put the, you're going to put there, that the edut which I will give you. And it's very interesting. He's telling him, you're going, to, I'm going to, you're going to put there the tablets which I'm going to give you, which makes us think that he's giving Moshe Rabbeinu all of these instructions before, before he gave the tablets, before the sin of the Egel. Because there are those rabbis that suggest what was the reason we needed a Mishkan? Was because we needed this physical something, which was the Egel, and in order to replace the Egel, we made a Mishkan. But according to this, and according to the many, rabbi, many of the rabbis, ah, the Mishkan was always meant to be. The Mishkan is not to fix the Egel. So I'm going to give you these luchot. You're going to put it in the cabinet. You're going to lock it away. The question is, why do you need to put it in the cabinet? Why not just make a shelf in the Kodesh HaKodashim, within the Mishkan, and leave the luchot on the shelf? Books on the shelf, luchot on the shelf. Why do I need to close the cabinet? Only because I don't want you to see the books. But if I want to see, if I'm proud of the book, I leave the tablet out. Why do I have to hide the tablet? Also, the tablet is only for the Aron. Why isn't there a cabinet for the, for the menorah? Why don't we put the menorah away? Why do we leave the menorah out? Why do we leave the shulchan, the table with the bread? Why do we leave that out? Why do we leave the... the uh, the, uh, the incense uh, altar. Why do we leave that out? So it says, Now this is very hard for us to understand because if we go to the Ten Commandments, we said in the Ten Commandments, we said, And you shouldn't have the third. What shouldn't you have? Graven images in front of you. 3D graven images. No statues. No statues. So now the Torah is telling Moshe Rabbeinu, Ve'asita shenayim keruvim zahav. You're going to make two golden cherubs. You're going to make them from solid gold, and these are going to be the cover over the Aron. One is going to be on this side, one is going to be in this side. They're going to form the over the kaporet, the, the covering, and there you're going to make the keruvim. The Ayuah Keruvim, the Keruvim are going to have their wings spread upwards and they're going to shield the ark with their faces facing towards one another, towards the ark, and their faces should be cherubs, like children. 
a piece of gold, both sides, two angels coming from the cover. It's very thick. You're going to have to beat it out of solid gold. The Gemara says that they had the faces of babies. One was a male. One was a female. One was a little taller. One was a little shorter. And they faced each other inside the Kodesh HaKodashim. And the strangest thing is, Keruvim, the Goyim, for years told B'nai Israel, just put one of our idols inside your Mikdash and we'll be happy. Just leave one. Leave the eagle. Leave the this. Leave the that. And we said, no. We don't have graven images. And then when Nebuzaradan Yimach Shemo, when he came to the Ben HaMikdash, Nebuchadnezzar, they came after the destruction. They burned the temple. They came in to see what's inside. They opened it up. And what did they see? A male and female cherub. And what are they doing? They're hugging each other. And they say, these Jews, they're full of baloney. They tell us no graven images. Not only is there a graven image, but there's a graven image of a male and a female in an embrace. What are they thinking? This is crazy. They made jokes, especially considering the Ten Commandments and everything we hold. So how do we understand that? How did they merit seeing them? When they, the Bedamak was destroyed, they broke in. So the question is, if they would disappeared before, this opinion holds that they didn't disappear. One opinion says that one of the kings before, Shlomo HaMelech, built. And we, we, still have, we still have the Aaron, because Shlomo HaMelech built a subterranean room, which is described in detail, where it goes through <coughs> tunnels. <laughs> and he, he placed the, he, they, this king placed all of the, uh, the Aaron and the other items in these tunnels, but... I don't know. This is the, this is Nebuchadnezzar. This is what it says. And Hashem is telling Moshe, I am going to appear to you there. I'm going to speak to you from on this cover, from in between these Kiruvim, which are on the Aaron. Everything I'm going to command you is going to come from there. So now Moshe Rabbeinu, you have to think, had an AirPod in his ear that he could talk to Hashem wherever he was, whenever he wanted, no problem. Now you're telling Moshe, if you want to talk to me, go to a, get a quarter, find a payphone, which is in the middle of the Aron, and dial me from the Aron. Instead of you being able to talk to me from anywhere, I'm only talking to you from now on, from this place. What? Again, limiting. It doesn't seem to make sense. How do we understand? So the Arizal explains... That if a person wants to get to the Kiseh HaKavod, if a person wants to get up mentally, spiritually to the place that we say is God's throne, that person has to travel through spiritual worlds to get to this place. We talked before about four worlds. The world that we live in is called, uh, called Alam Asiyah, the world where we're doing action. This is our world. Above our world is Olam Hayetzira. This is a world of formation, something from something. Then there's a world of Bria, a world of creation, Yesh Me'ayin, something from nothing. This is the world of the angels. And above that world is Olam Ha'atzilut, which is so high we can't get. The, the throne of Hashem is sitting on top of the world of Bria. On top of this world of creation, of the world of angels. That's where the throne is sitting. The Arizal explains 
that we have to remember something, that we only have 57 Nevi'im that we hear of in the Tanakh, in the Torah. But we have, at one point, over a million prophets. What does it mean to be a prophet? It means that the person is able to connect to Hashem on a spiritual level, sort of leaving this world and going into this uh, meditation where he's able to touch and hear God. We only have a few of them because their message is for us eternally. But those others were prophets. What did it take to be a prophet? You went to a school of Nevi'im. That's why they had the schools of B'nai Nevi'im. What did they teach you? They taught you how to spiritually travel through a meditative level, from level to level to level to level, till I can in some ways unify myself with Hashem. This is the idea of the Nevi'im. It would take a lot of effort. The Ari writes that in this upper hallway where we have the Kisea Kavod, there are also there are also rooms, he says, describes them as rooms. He says that each of these rooms or halls relates to some aspect of the world. The examples given by the Zohar are if a person needs help in their business. They have to meditate to get to this level of this olam ratzon, this olam of will, of desire, that has the special window for business. If a person needs help with a shiduch to marry someone, they have to contemplate to bring themselves to this window of a shiduch, of marriage, under the kisah kavod. He says for refuah, you have to go to the window of refuah. Just ask. Get online, ask. It's there children, etc., etc. It says all of these offices, so to say, are occupied by angels. And they have special responsibilities. The way that the rabbis describe it is there are seven main halls and, and, and someone on a level of prophecy is climbing through these halls. And it's almost like uh, these crazy movies where you're going through level by level and fighting angels with swords because you have to know how to get by and how to get past and how to move forward. And each one, there's a skylight that you could see the one above. So they're all connected in some way and you're trying to travel through these levels. In this Hechal Ratzon, which is this hallway of of. of of Ratzon is will, a free will. There are four archangels, Michael, Gabriel, Raphael, Nuriel, and each of them has two helpers. So there are 12, Nuriel or Uriel, could be. There are 12 angels that are there in this place. And from there, one can climb into the final hall of Beria, of creation, of this level called creation, and this hall is called the Hall of the Kodesh HaKodashim. That's the hall that sits directly below the Kisei Kavod. In essence, Hashem doesn't need a Mishkan. We don't need a Mishkan. We don't need a Bet HaMikdash. In many ways, it's restricting. But says the Zohar, that we need to understand 
that the Mishkan is comparable to the last two worlds, the highest two worlds of Briah and the world of creation. What one feels in the Mishkan, what one feels in the Mikdash, is that one is entering the embassy of those two rooms in the world of creation. How do we explain it? In science fiction terms, you have a portal which will take you into a parallel universe. If you're connected here, you're connected there. The Mishkan is a heavenly embassy that's sitting on earth. What happens when you're in a foreign country? You're in China. You need help. You run to the American embassy. And once you're in the American embassy, it's as if you are on American soil. You have an embassy from one place in a foreign place. But when you enter that embassy, it's as if you're in that other place. So the embassy is the Mishkan, is the Mikdash. That's the connection point. That's the portal between heaven and earth. You enter into that space. You're not on earth anymore in a way. You're already in this parallel universe, which is the universe that the prophets are all trying to get up step by step by step by step. What is the Mishkan? It's a shortcut. You don't need to travel through a meditative level, 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 level. Come into the Mishkan and you're there. Mishkan, that's not Mishkan Mikdash, same. Mishkan, that's not the Mikdash. So the that's Mishkan, so the Mish, right. So the Mishkan is what we're building now. The Mishkan then is set up in Eretz Yisrael. Once Shlomo HaMelech, David HaMelech takes Yerushalayim and builds Yerushalayim, they build the Bet HaMikdash. And the rabbis tell us that the Mishkan is actually buried below the Bet HaMikdash. So Mishkan and Mikdash, we could say the same. Okay, so once we enter this, we're entering into an embassy. So this is why when commanding Moshe Hashem says, each person could give what they want. Why? Because the Mikdash is the connecting point to this hall called Ratzon. Ratzon is what? Free will. Free will determines if I want to give or not give. The free will that I have determines if I want to connect to this place or not connect to this place. The design, the space, the scale, the utensils, all are meant to give a person a feeling that they're entering this portal, that they're entering this embassy, that they're able to access those departments. We're in a foreign country, under a foreign rule. We step into the embassy, we're home. Exam- uh, so say, the specifications of the Mikdash are not for Hashem. He doesn't need it. Everything's for us. So that we have the feeling that we're there, that we're in this hall of Ratzon, that we're in this Kodashi. This is the place that Moshe Rabbeinu spent 120 years in heaven. And what happens when he's in heaven? Hashem is showing him everything there so that he can translate it and build an embassy to easily connect to that place when he's back on earth. There's a special access point to visit directly into the chamber, to pass through into the dimension without making the journey from Olam Asiyah to Olam Yetzirah to Olam Beriyah to the aspect of the angels, to the very top, to the Kodesh HaKodashim in heaven, to the place of Hashem. What happens is in the Mikdash, you're able to just cut the line. Go straight. So we have to understand 
there's a miraculous aspect of the Mishkan and the Bet HaMikdash. On earth, we're subject to nature. But in the Mishkan, we're not. There were 10 miracles that happened every single day in the Mishkan, in the Bet HaMikdash, that made us realize that we're not on earth anymore. This is a place beyond nature. We're seeing miracles happening in front of us. That's the only way. The Gemara says the Mikdash is relatively small. Could you imagine all the Jews of the whole land coming to Eretz, to the Mishkan, to the Mikdash, three times a year and fitting? Say a million people came to Jerusalem. Try to fit a million people on the mount. How? You're bringing sheep to slaughter. You're bringing sheep to eat. Everything that happened on the Mishkan, on the Mikdash, was miraculous. There was room when there wasn't room. Everyone could be standing next to each other, and then when they bowed, there was suddenly room. So everyone in the first Ben HaMikdash saw these 10 miracles every single time. They went there, and they knew they were in a place that's beyond nature. If you take the dimensions of the ark with the, state, with the staffs that are holding up the ark and try to put them into the dimensions of the Kodesh HaKodashim, guess what? It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. Well, I don't understand. It's like someone orders a sofa from me and didn't measure the elevator. And the guys come to deliver and say, well, it does't fit. You can't get the sofa up the, up the up into the building. What do you have to do? Cut it in half and... It's like Hashem is telling Moshe, I'm building this beautiful ark with these stabs and I'm going to tell you, put it in this room. Not only does it not fit in the elevator, it doesn't fit in the room. Imagine someone told you to build a dining table that's bigger than your dining room. That's what this is. So the idea that you could have something that's larger than the room fit into the room means that you're in a place beyond space, beyond time, beyond motion. The question of the angels. On earth, we have no images. But this place is not earth. This place is the embassy connecting to the room where the angels are. So those angels represent in some way the angels that are up in heaven. They represent the angels from this hall of Ratzon, of free will. How do you connect to the hall? Free will. So it's above. It's above, it's above, 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 above. The highest you can get. So, so, so you have one male, one female. Why? Because sometimes we relate to Hashem in a male. And sometimes we relate to Hashem in a female. Not to say Hashem is male, female. But we have sometimes, we say for example in Kedushah, This is feminine. Many parts of the Tefillah, we're talking to Hashem in a feminine form, which relates to the Shekhinah. Sometimes we relate to one, sometimes we relate to the other. This is what the Keruvim are, so that we could relate. It says, not only that, this is the place that the Neshamot, the souls, are stored. So that when a husband and wife come together, and they bring down a child, the soul of that child comes from this room, in this room called the room of Ratzon, of desire. Hashem tells Moshe, build me this Mishkan, build me the ark, I'm going to speak to you from there. Moshe, you don't have to go through the trouble of rising level to level of meditation to speak to me. I'm giving you a shortcut, I'm giving you the bat phone, I'm giving you an easy way to speak to me. Moshe reaches this level. He climbs to the highest level of Binah, to the level of the angels. This is the highest level of Olam Haberiyah. A person doesn't need to, to climb. They can connect. 
Hashem tells Moshe, follow these specifications, follow the video that you saw in Shamayim. Spiritually, this is where Hashem dwells in Shamayim. One more thought. We say that Bitzalel. So who's the one who's going to build this Mishkan? Moshe comes to this Bitzalel and he says, Hashem appointed you to do it. Who is Bitzalel? Bitzalel ben Huri ben Hur. His grandfather was Hur. His grandfather was the one who was killed when the people wanted to worship the Egel. And someone asked about talking about Ibur Neshama. Maybe next week we'll talk about it. But this, he has an Ibur Neshama, a, a, a pregnancy of the soul of his grandfather. And he builds the Mishkan, a 15-year-old. He how comes to... Mo- how does he know from his grandfather? His soul, his, his soul, the soul of his grandfather enters into him. And he's given a special knowledge to connect. What's his name again? Betzalel. That's why we have the, the artist school in Eretz Yisrael. It's called Betzalel because he was the great, the great artisan who built all of the things for the temple. My dad, we used to call, he had a, in the back of the factory, he had a table where he used to fix all the Sifrei Torot when they, the, the silver got damaged or something. It was my father's his hobby. They would send him and also the siniyas that they made for the Brit Milah. All these things sat on these tables in the back of the factory. And my father would go out for an hour or two every day and he would work on all of these things. So we used to joke that this is Bitzalel's table. <laughs> so it makes sense because Bitzalel Ben Hur is from, the, from Yehuda. And you're Yehuda. We're all from, most of us are from Yehuda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Betzalel could have. So my father had this very big connection. Connection to Betzalel. That's the other side of the soul. Okay, so he says that. He says to Moshe Rabbeinu something very interesting. He says to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, I don't understand. You're telling us to build an ark, to build a menorah, to build a table, to build a mizbeach, and then to build a mishkan. If you are building a house, what do you build first? The house or the furniture? The foundation. He says you do the fur- you do the fur- you do the house first. You build the house and then you get the furniture once you're building the house. Why are you telling us to start with the furniture and only then build the house? And all the people see, oh boy, this fifteen year old kid just asked Moshe a question that makes perfect sense to us. Maybe Moshe, he just went up and came down. Maybe he didn't hear it right. What's going on? But we have to understand. That from Betzalel, you're going from the Mishkan, which represents the lowest level of the hall. And you're going up, 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 until you get to the Aron, which is the highest level. But for Moshe Rabbeinu, who's starting from the top, he's starting from the Aron, and he's coming down. Moshe came from Shamayim. And he said that you have to start from there. But, but Betzalel is saying our goal as people, is to rise up level by level by level. Now, so, so the, the idea of the Mishkan, it's, it's a connecting point for us to have with Hashem. Do we have it today? I'm going to show you that we do. Now, I just want to go back to the unicorn. Still good? We're still good. Just a little on the unicorn. So Hashem instructs Moshe Rabbeinu to use the Techashim skins as a covering for the tent. They were to cover the roof of the tent, which was made of the goatskin, like we said. It says that we should know. It says, Vasuli Mikdash, make me the Mikdash, I'm going to dwell among them. 
One of the interesting things is that this tachash is made of many colors. We said that when the Targum translates, it says that this tachash is proud of its many colors. The Gemara says, put me in a room with someone proud. I don't want to be there, Hashem says. I only be, want to be with humility. So how could we understand taking this, this tachash, which represents in many ways pride, how do we understand that this connects us to Hashem? It's Hashem doesn't want to be there. So the, the, the idea really is, I have a whole thing on, on, on Yaakov relating, but I, I think we're going to go further. It says that, that Hashem reveals and takes pride in what? In the portion of Torah of every one of B'nai Israel. Each of us is a different person. Each of us is a different soul. Each of us has a different connection. Each of us has a different fingerprint. Each of us is our own color. It's our own color. In the hue of all colors. What Hashem is saying is that I'm covering the Mishkan with this many colors is to show us every one of us has a place. Every one of us has a connection. Every one of us is one of those colors. All the various hues of the Torah scholars, that's who the different colors. It's interesting also that in Shushan, where they discovered where Esther was, on one of the walls is a magnificent, magnificent image of a winged unicorn. The idea of the winged unicorn is hard to understand. And we see also, it says that, so I saw this is beautiful. He says it's in, in Shushan, in Persia. They have the physical place, which they know where it is. They already have done archaeological, uh, yeah. And they have there, we actually saw by, what was his name? We saw by a, by, a, by, a, by a person, he was the largest collector of Judaica in Israel. His name was Shlomo Musayef. He had all... Illegal. Everything he bought for sure was was illegal. When Sotheby's sold the collection, two thirds of the collection they wouldn't touch because it came through. When we were there, it was when when we were with him when the American army just went into Iraq, Iraq. and we saw he had Sefer Torah from the Ben Ishchai, and he had with him a statue of Esther Hamalka. Queen Esther that they brought back from there, that they had from there. He had Vashti also. It was unbelievable what he had. No, no, we went to his apartment. We went to his apartment. She was trying to get him she was trying to get him to open a museum in Jerusalem and that was why we were there. In East Jerusalem. No, like Hartzion and Anyway, that was the place and the So there's a winged unicorn there. So the question is, it says that, that Shushan Palace was likely the home of Esther Amaka. The rabbis describe Esther as a paragon of purity. The Zohar Kadosh says that in actuality, she never slept with Achashverosh, that Mordechai did a magical trick and he made a succubus to be with the king instead of her. This was the first AI uh, robot, okay? <laughs> He says, in medieval literature, the wild and powerful unicorn could only be subdued by the purest of maidens. Even Leonardo da Vinci, he writes about it. So perhaps there's some connection between 
Esther HaMalka and this unicorn. Now going further, this is a Midrash. When Adam and Chava were expelled from Gan Eden, Hashem made clothing for them. Midrash tells us that the clothing was made from the skins of the Tachash. This garment was passed down through the generations until finally Yaakov gave it to Yosef, which was the coat of many colors. If this was the same garment that Hashem made for Adam, we can understand why it had so many colors, because it came from the skin of the Tachash. And what better material could there be from which to fashion these clothes as Adam and Chava now had to go out and engage in the real world? So this explains why the, why it explains the happiness of the Tachash and the role. So it's interesting. If you see, when you go out into the real world, the Tachash represents the world. It represents the physical. And Adam was leaving Gan Eden. Hashem had to clothe him in something to protect him from the physical. Yosef is going to go to Egypt. His father gave him the coat of many colors, sort of as a sign to protect himself when he's leaving the protection of Yaakov's house. The Tachash is the cover of the Mishkan. It says, this explains the happiness of the Tachash and the role it played in the Mikdash. The Bet HaMikdash is called the cause of happiness in the world. What is the nature of the happiness that one experienced in the Mishkan in the Bet HaMikdash? True happiness is what occurs when two things that appear to be opposites reveal their inner unity and merge. For example, when two distinct people find that they share a common root soul and get married, there's tremendous simcha. When one came to the Bet HaMikdash, they were able to see what appeared to be two completely separate entities, our world and the spiritual world of Hashem. As one approached the Mishkan and saw this multicolored skin of the Tachash, the inner spark of the Klipa Noga, they're reminded that everything in this world exists harmoniously with Hashem. Even those who were mourning were able to rejoice as they took solace in the fact that everything is part of Hashem's plan. The Tachash itself rejoiced in its colors knowing that they were all mere expressions of its essence. There was no better animal to express the joy that comes with the harmony of opposites, mixing all the colors together, than this Tachash, this unicorn. And finally, I remember as a kid, Rabbi Dweck, when he spoke in the Deal Synagogue, and he told us about a person going to the, bet, to, the, to, the, to the wall and praying by the wall 40 days in a row. And we have many stories of people who have gone to the, to the Kotel and they prayed 40 days in a row and miracles happened for them. And I know people who went 40 days to the wall and miracles didn't happen. So sometimes Hashem, my rabbi would say, it's not it didn't. Hashem just answered you. The answer was no. But what we said based on Shlomo HaMelech, that a goy who prays fully from the depths of his heart is answered. On Sunday night, the IDF, just to close with this, saved two hostages in one of the boldest rescue operations in the war. So what miracle happened? Javier Malay, the president of Argentina, you see in the, in the pictures, he's standing there crying crying to the wall days before, praying to Hashem. He's declaring his love for Israel. He wants to move the, the, the embassy there. And what happens? He says he's planning to convert. He's been saying this for a couple of months. Rabbi Biton, from, uh, he's from Argent- 
he was the, the chief oh. rabbi, rabbi. He's from the North Shore now. He, 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 no, yeah. different. He says, uh, he says his friend is very close to him in there and he's working to convert him. And he's taught him everything. There's a, he's, no, he's not so old. Probably around my age, 60 or so. He's in the... So, so he was the chief rabbi of one of the countries in South America. He's on the North Shore now. Um, so he's, he, he talks about it. And he says, it's something unbelievable. He says, what happens? This guy goes to pray by the wall. And then the IDF saves two hostages out of all these people. And who are the two hostages? Two older guys from Argentina. Is it a coincidence? So I, I said right away, I said, the Israelis were very smart. The guy came from Argentina. He said he's moving his embassy. Let's go get those two Argentinian guys out. But they would get out anybody that they could get. So we could say that the world is a coincidence, that nothing is really... But really, you see here, if you want to look, you see. This guy went. And if you see the pictures, he's literally with his head against the cocktail. He's crying, crying to Hashem. What did he pray for? Who knows? But maybe, like Shlomo HaMelech says, if the Goyim come and pray with a full heart, Hashem Hashem, Hashem is going to answer their prayers. The rabbis say if the Goyim understood the value of the Ben HaMikdash to them, they would never have destroyed it. But the Ben HaMikdash is there for us. The Mishkan is there for us. It's there for us in our minds. We still have the connection, which is the Kotel. It's not to say that Hashem is not everywhere. It's not to say that Hashem is not everywhere and we can talk to Him anywhere. But when we come closer to that place, we're closer to the embassy, we're closer to the portal, we feel we could connect easier. We have the ability to connect though in the Mikdash Me'at. The synagogue is a Mikdash Me'at. You come to the synagogue and there's a connection to Hashem. And one of the reasons there's a connection is because we have all of these holes. If I try to pray and get my prayer to the hall, it means I have to take my tefillah, get one of these angels to carry the tefillah and bring that tefillah to the right window, get it through the window and get it answered. What do I do? I come to the synagogue. When we all come to the synagogue, we're all praying with full kavanah for something. Someone's praying for health. Someone's praying for a baby. Someone's praying for a shiduch. Someone's praying for wealth. Someone's praying for something. And everyone has this aspect of a connection. So when we all pray together, it's not the chazan is taking the train and he's the front car and we're all following. He's not the engine and we're all just going along. Every one of us is an engine that's taking everyone else along. So when you come together and pray, and that's why they say, if you know someone who has to, who needs something, and you pray for them and they pray for you, you don't know who's breaking through, but you're carried with each other. We have the ability to reach these places, not on our own. It becomes very difficult. But when we get together, when we join with each other, when we perform this coat of many colors, all with a little different aspects, then together we all form an engine that takes us to where we need to go. Baruch Adonai Amen, Amen.